And Lord, um, as we find ourselves again in a time where it's really hot outside and um, it's hot everywhere and, and it seems dry, and um, we pray that if that's the condition of us spiritually, that uh, the words that we're going to read, words of comfort and promises, and uh, Lord, the promise of your help, the promise that, that you see us and we belong to you, and that you're going to strengthen us and uphold us, that, Lord, that we would be refreshed and renewed in every way. So, Lord, uh, we come with giving attention to you in the study of the word. Help us to be attentive because uh, it's evening. We can begin to become sluggish. Uh, and we don't want that. We want to open our ears and our eyes spiritually. We want to uh, gain from you what you have to say in your word. Touch our hearts in every way. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So to remind you once again, chapter 40 that uh, we've been in over the last couple of weeks is such a rich chapter. But Isaiah chapter 40, starting the second half of Isaiah, and uh, as we have said that Isaiah by uh, scholars and theologians have been called the mini Bible, because just as your Bible has 66 uh, books, and, and we study those 66 books from uh, Genesis to Revelation, the uh, book of Isaiah has 66 chapters. The Old Testament has 39 books from Genesis to Malachi. And as we looked at the first 39 chapters of Isaiah, it very much correlates with the Old Testament. Now, the Old Testament, God has uh, dealing with his people, Israel, the historical books, as he brought them out of Egypt. Uh, as it started actually back in Genesis chapter 12, there's going to be a reference here as we continue to Abraham who was called out by the Ur, the Chaldeans, and, and the Lord said, I'm going to make you uh, the father of a great nation. So we see a lot of the historical uh, account there of, of God uh, bringing his people uh, into that place of the promised land after they came out of Egypt, made a covenant with them, and said, if you follow after me, then I'm going to bless you. But if you don't, then it's going to be bad news for you, and you're going to go um, and, and receive receive uh, and experience judgment by my hand, and you're going to go off into captivity. And that was the message of Isaiah, a lot of it in the first 39 chapters. And even though we did see words of comfort and, and God's grace that was intertwined in those chapters, there was a real focus of the Assyrians are going to come and take you away captive because of your disobedience and idol worship. And he was dealing with their sin. So the first 39 chapters very much correspond relate with the, 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 the Old Testament, the, um, what we get a feel of the Old Testament, and then chapters 40 through 66 are going to correlate with the New Testament, because what we're going to see is God's tender heart and, and grace and wonderful promises and God's comfort that is given to his people. And that's what we see in the New Testament. Now, don't think that God changed uh, in the New Testament, because uh, God is unchangeable, and we know 
know his word is forever. And Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? But what we see in the New Testament, in that new covenant, that we are now under grace. And, and we see a lot of grace that is expressed here by God in these chapters. And in chapter 40, the Lord begins to comfort his people. They are going to need to be comforted because it is there in um, the second part of Isaiah that as he prophesies, he's going to talk a little bit about how Judah is going to go off into captivity. And Judah would about uh, over 100 years after Isaiah is on the scene here. And the people are going to need to be comforted by the Lord. So as chapter 40 starts out, the second part of, of you know the book of Isaiah, comfort, yes, comfort my people. People, says your God. And I believe that the Lord desires to comfort you and me here even tonight. And maybe you're here and you're going through some kind of a trial or difficulty. Maybe you feel like that you're being held captive uh, by a circumstance or maybe you're in bondage to something that we need to be comforted. And the Lord desires to bring that comfort to you. Paul the Apostle, when he was writing to the Corinthians, his second letter, and he would say to them as he opened up that book, that blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our tribulation. And Paul, as he begins that letter, he said that when we came out of Asia, that we were pressed beyond measure. We were even despaired of life. And it is good to know that the Lord desires to bring comfort to you in all of our tribulations, whatever it might be, through loss or challenges or difficulties or uh, hurt or pain that you're experiencing, whatever it is in all of our tribulations. And that word tribulation takes on the meaning of stress, being pressed. And maybe you're here tonight and you're feeling stressed, you're feeling pressed because whatever circumstance that you are facing and the Lord desires to bring comfort to you. He is the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our tribulations, not some of them, not part of our tribulations, but all of them. And as we go through these chapters here, we're going to see how God brings that comfort, even as we have seen already in chapter 40. He brings his comfort to us because he's the one that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. So number one, he brings comfort to us because we can, you know, trust in this word. His word stands forever. And I know that a lot of times, and I, you, is, this is probably true for your life as well as for my life, that when I need comfort, I find comfort in God's word. As I read his promises, as I read, you know, uh, what he has for me, his, his, uh, how much he loves me and he cares for me, and, and as I read his word, I know it's true for me today because it stands forever. And I know that you've experienced that as you continue in the scriptures, even as you're here tonight, there may be some things that are here that we're going to read that is going to really bring comfort to you. And here's the thing, that it is Paul was writing and saying that he's the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our tribulations, that we may be able to comfort others in the tribulations that they're going through. 
And I just want to encourage you that you who have gone through difficult times and loss, perhaps, pain, whatever it is, and you have found comfort by the Lord, and you have found comfort by his word, that you're able to then bring comfort to others. And I know that, that there have been those that, that when I'm perhaps feeling pressed or stressed, that they'll bring a verse to me. They'll give me some scripture, and it really brings comfort to me. And I'm sure that you've experienced the same thing. I know that even Sue, that, that when we're praying about something and, and uh, really pressing into the Lord about a circumstance or whatever the case may be, that oftentimes Sue will say, the Lord shared this verse with me, show me this verse, and she'll read it, and immediately it brings comfort to me. So we have comfort through the word of God. We have comfort as we uh, read here in, in verse 10 that he's coming back and uh, he's going to rule um, the earth as he will establish his kingdom and he's going to bring his reward with him to know that we're a part of a kingdom that lasts forever. I don't know about you, but it brings comfort to me to know that I'm going to go to heaven, that I'm going to rule and reign with him, that this world isn't going to last forever. That this is our temporary place that we are, you know, passing through. Just pilgrims passing through that we belong to another kingdom. So, you know, an eternal kingdom, the kingdom of God. So we're going to be ones that we are going to uh, be comforted by uh, the Lord um, as we know uh, that we will be with him. And I can't, you know, wait for that to happen when he comes for us. And in verse 11, we're comforted knowing that he's the good shepherd, as we read, and he feeds, feed his flock like a shepherd and gathers the lambs with his arms. The tenderness of our Lord. He's the good shepherd, even as David said, that the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. And he leads me beside the still waters and the feed in green pastures to lie down. And I know that there may be times where it feels like it's, you know, turbulent waters that we're going through. But he's the one, the good shepherd, that desires for us to bring that comfort and that calmness into our situation, into our lives. So he brings comfort by the word of God. He's coming back. He's the good shepherd. By verses 13 and 14, as we covered his wisdom and understanding, even in verse 28, as we were ending last week and we didn't quite get there, but his wisdom, uh, his understanding is unsearchable. That's what we are told. His understanding is, is unsearchable. Listen, Colossians chapter 2 tells us that in him, in Christ, is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And that brings me comfort because I don't have to lean on my own understanding. And I don't have to rely on my wisdom or on man's wisdom. But I look to him. And even as the proverb tells us in chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, you know it, that trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Not that he might, but he will. And we don't have to lean on our own understanding in life. And, and I'm so thankful for that. Because I know that his understanding is unsearchable. And there's something else that is told that is unsearchable and indescribable and immeasurable. And that is his love for you. And I know that everything that he is doing in my life is because he loves me so much. And I may not understand it, again, in my own wisdom and understanding. But I can trust you, Lord, 
that you're doing the very best for me because you have eternity's views and values in mind and, and working in those ways that you're going to work uh, according to the way that you desire for my good, Lord. You're not going to withhold anything that is good for me. That's a promise that we have from Romans chapter 8. And if you're not giving me something or something isn't happening or you're allowing something to come into my life, it's because you are working good somehow, some way, in eternity's perspective. And it might be that the trials and difficulties that you're going through, that God wants you to glorify him through that as you trust in him and receive comfort, that you can give comfort to others as they just have just talked about that and as Paul writes to the Corinthians. God has allowed us to go through those times where we're pressed beyond measure, that we can comfort you, and then he begins to give comfort to the Corinthian church in that second letter. We know that, that we have comfort because he's the mighty, mighty creator. He sees all things. And in verse 26, he, he, let's read it again in, in chapter 40. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things, who brings out their hosts by number. He calls them all by name, by the greatness of his might and the strength of his power. Not one is missing. I know that I'm comforted because he knows me. He knows all the stars by name. Everything that he created. He knows them all. And he knows you. And he knows your name. He knows the number of hairs that are on your head. He knows everything about you. And it brings me comfort to know that the Lord sees me and he knows me and he desires to have closeness and fellowship and intimacy with me. So these are the things that bring us comfort. And let's finish the chapter here as we go. Let's start in verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my just claim is passed over by my God. Have you not known and have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary, his understanding unsearchable? He gives power to the weak, and to those who have no might, he increases strength. And even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young man shall utterly fall. So we know that it is the Lord that desires to strengthen us because we become weak and we faint in our lives. The feeble knees that we read about that David expresses in the Psalms, when he became weak spiritually, he would go to the Lord and he would wait on the Lord. And the Lord would strengthen him. And even when we're young, it says here, the youth shall faint and the young man shall utterly fall. We all go through those times where we feel weak. We go through difficulties. But he strengthens us. And I love verse 31. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength and shall mount up like wings like eagle. They shall run and not be weary and they shall walk and not faint. Again, it's a verse that many of us know that we can be comforted that as we wait on the Lord, we've been talking a little bit about waiting on the Lord, haven't we? Because you recall that it was in Isaiah chapter 30 that the Lord said, wait on me. I want you to call upon me and I want you to wait on me and you're going to hear from me. And as we wait on the Lord, the promise is given in Isaiah chapter 30 that blessed are those who wait on the Lord. You know, it's interesting. David, he writes in Psalm 37, I believe it's about verse 9, that he says that those who wait on the Lord shall inherit the earth. 
It's a promise that is given. As we wait on him, we'll inherit the earth. Now, what does that mean, inherit the earth? I look at this world, and this world's all messed up. I don't want this earth. I don't want this world. But what it's talking about is that we're going to experience the blessings of when he comes, and we're going to be a part of that kingdom that is here. And we're going to rule and reign with him. The meek shall inherit the earth. Those who believe and trust in him. And it brings me comfort to know, again, that the Lord, that he uh, has uh, made us citizens of heaven and citizens of a kingdom that lasts forever. But as we wait on him, we shall inherit the earth. As we wait on him, we shall be strengthened. We shall be blessed. There's blessing and benefit on waiting for, on him. And in Lamentations chapter 3, the Lord is good to those who wait on him. And listen, maybe you're in a place right now where you're waiting on the Lord. You know that's not a bad place to be. Because as you're waiting on him, listen, that there is blessing, that he's going to be good to you, that you have the promise that you belong to him, you're going to inherit the earth. And know that you're going to be strengthened. And in those times where we wait, we feel like, Lord, it just... I need your strength, and I need you. And Lord, I'm waiting on you. Know that he's going to be faithful to you. It's hard to wait on the Lord, isn't it? Especially in the world in which we live in. We live in a world where we want things instantly. Man, faster the internet, better, right? We can't wait for an extra two or three seconds for you know that, that site to come up. Or we want the emails. We want everything to come instantly. We want instant food and, you know, fast food and all of this. And sometimes we want to carry that into our spiritual lives. And the Lord says, I want you to learn to wait on me. Even as David wrote in Psalm 62, that I wait on you, O Lord, for you alone are my hope. And if you're in a place of waiting, whatever it may be for you, Know that he's going to strengthen you, be good to you, and that he's going to bless you. So it's a good thing for us to be in that place of waiting as we grow in faith, as we look to him, as he comforts us, and, and know this, that he's with you. And I love what Jesus would say to the disciples in that upper room. He says, I don't leave you as orphans, but I'm going to bring another, what? The comforter, the helper who's not only come alongside of you, but dwell in you. And that he is here to bring comfort to you. So these are good reasons why we can be comforted going through chapter 40. And it continues, as we see in chapter 41, that we know that we can be comforted because we are assured of God's help as we continue to go th through this um, incredible book. Chapter 41, keep silence before me, O coastlands, and let the people renew their strength. Let them come near, let th and then let them speak. Let us come near together for judgment. So God sits on the throne and is prepared to judge the nations. And that word coastland can mean the far reaches of the earth, distant lands. All the lands, distant nations are to be silent before God. 
This is almost like the setting of a, a courtroom. And when we get to verse 21, we're going to see that it is a setting of a courtroom. Hey, bring your case before me, is what the Lord says to these nations. And as we continue in verse 2, who raised up one from the east, who in righteousness called him to his feet, who gave the nations before him and made him rule over kings, who gave them as the dust to his sword, as driven stubble to his bow. So what we see here in verse 2, it's some believe, Bible scholars, that this is a reference to Cyrus, the king of Persia. When we get to the end of the chapter, we're going to see that there is a reference to Cyrus. Now, who is Cyrus, the king of Persia? Cyrus was the one at the end of the captivity, as Babylon, of course, would be defeated by the Medes and the Persians. And Cyrus is God's instrument, servant, who's going to be used, the king of Persia, that's going to allow the Jews to go back in about 536 BC to rebuild the temple. We're going to see that very specifically when we get to chapters 44 and 45. Matter of fact, Cyrus is going to be named by name 150 years before he's even born. That Cyrus is going to be used of the Lord to, to end the captivity there as he is the king of Persia. The captivity begins in 605 BC. Nebuchadnezzar comes into Jerusalem, takes Daniel and his three friends and the other choice men of Judah away. And then that captivity 70 years later to 536 BC. So some say this is a reference to Cyrus. Others say, no, it's a reference to Abraham. And I kind of lean towards that because Cyrus is going to be called the one that comes from the north. Abraham's the one who came from the east. And he's going to be referenced in verse 8. So Abraham, who's the father of the nation of Israel, God's people, and we're going to see that God is going to make reference that you, Jacob, you, Israel all reference to his people, are my servants, my chosen one. So who raised up one from the east? It is Abraham, who came from the Ur of the Chaldeans from the east, over where, uh, you know, Babylon was, over where Iraq is today. And he would leave in Genesis chapter 12 and go to the place that, that God would show him as he went over the Fertile Crescent and into the land of Canaan. And he raises him up in verse 3, who pursued them and passed safely by the way that he had not gone with his feet. Who has performed and done it, calling the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, am the first, and with the last I am he. The coastland saw it and feared. The ends of the earth were afraid. They drew near and came. Everyone helped his neighbor and said to his brother, Be of good courage. So the craftsman encouraged the goldsmith, and he who smooths with the hammer inspired him who strikes the anvil, saying it is ready for the uh, soldering, uh, soldering, and, and then he fastened it with pegs that it might not totter. So here as we read this, it's showing us that God is the one that's in control, has authority over everything. And what we see here as we begin to read in verse 7, the reaction of the coastlands, the distant nations, is fear. Now that's interesting. The coastland saw, verse 5, and feared the ends of the earth were afraid. You know, when God began to, to grow the nation, when actually that it was, um, you know, that the children of Israel were in Egypt for 400 years, and when they came out and they instituted Passover, he, he said, now you're a nation. 
And now you're new nations. This is the beginning of your years. And they would come out. And it's interesting that how did the nations react? Because when Moses came to Pharaoh, it was Moses that was told by the Lord that Pharaoh, that he's going to harden his heart, but I'm going to bring the plagues down upon Pharaoh. And he's going to come to understand and he's going to see the Egyptians and the other nation. They're going to see my glory. And the reaction was that oftentimes that it was fear. It's interesting. So the children of Israel, as they came out of Egypt and God parted the Red Sea and they crossed on dry land and they would come there to Mount Sinai after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, it's interesting that we read in the book of Joshua, and many of you know this, we've talked about this, but Rahab, when they came to Jericho, and Rahab, who's mentioned in, in Hebrews chapter 11 in the Hall of Faith, she is there. She hides the spies. But it's interesting what she says. I'll read it to you in Joshua chapter 2, that as she's hiding the spies and, and, um, that were there in Jericho, that she said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordans, Shihon and Og, whom you utterly defeated. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. So she comes to faith, but what is interesting is we heard about what happened to the Egyptians 40 years previously. We heard about that, how you defeated, you know, Shihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites and on the other side. And we, we heard you came into the land. Our hearts melted. We were terrified. You know what I really believe? As the children of Israel walked around the city of Jericho for six days, right? They walked around, then they left. I believe that was God's grace and mercy being extended to Jericho. That, yeah, we can think, what were they up there on the wall laughing at the children of Israel? We're told in Joshua chapter 2 that they were terrified. And instead of repenting and turning to the Lord, which the Lord would have accepted that repentance, they, they just dug in their heels, and we are going to continue worshiping our Canaanite gods. They had that time to repent, but they didn't do that. And that interests me that here is Isaiah as he comes along and, and he says hundreds of years later that he says that the nations that they feared, we see that with the Philistines. As you go to 1 Samuel chapter 4, as the Philistines captured uh, the uh, Ark of the Covenant, and we know that uh, the story tells us that um, as the Ark of the Covenant was captured, that the Philistines, that they, um, first of all, when the Ark of the Covenant came into the camp, see, the children of Israel doing battle. Here they are doing battle with, with um, the Philistines. They're losing. Somebody comes up with an idea. Let's go get the Ark of the Covenant. We'll bring it out, and it'll bring us victory. So the children of Israel, you know, are looking at the Ark of the Covenant. You know, it will bring us victory. 
Well, the Philistines, when they heard the shout of the children of Israel in the camp, it tells us there in chapter 4 of 1 Samuel, so the Philistines were afraid, and they said, God is coming to the camp, and woe is us, for such a thing has never happened. Who's going to deliver us? This is 400 years, maybe 500 years, after the children of Israel, you know, had crossed the Red Sea. And they had heard that story. And I said, woe to us. You know, this is the gods that struck the Egyptians and the plagues in the wilderness out there to the Egyptians. And, and yet they did not repent. So they did capture the Ark of the Covenant. They take the Ark of the Covenant. They put it in their pagan temple in Dagog. They're in one of their major cities. Dagon was the pagan god, the fish god that the Philistines worshipped. And so they came in and Dagon had fallen over. We're going to see that Isaiah is going to talk about you make an idol, the reaction of the nations, they make an idol, and they put pegs on it to make sure it doesn't topple over. Well, they come over, and Dagon falls over the fish god, and they prop it back up. The next day, the you know, uh, idol fell over again, and it broke, and they thought, something's fishy going on here. So, But the people began... <laughs> to be struck with, with tumors, and the Lord began to judge them. I'm just seeing if you guys are still with me here tonight. <laughs> and here, it terrified the people, and what did they do? They send the Ark of the Covenant back. I find that very intriguing, because I just wonder, I just wonder, as Isaiah here is talking about the reaction of the distance land, is they became fearful if there isn't sometimes people, as we give them the gospel, as we share with them about what God has done for us, the true and the living God, if sometimes fear doesn't come in for whatever reason. The Philistines, they said, what are we going to do? Here's Jericho saying, what are we going to do? They're terrified, they're faint-hearted. We do know in Revelation chapter 6 that the sixth seal, that the sky is going to roll up like a scroll and they're going to see the Lamb sitting on the throne and they're going to say, save us from the wrath of the Lamb. But they don't repent. They're full of fear, but they refuse to repent. And that kind of intrigues me as I look at that through the scriptures and what Isaiah is saying. And what it does for me is I tell people, don't be afraid. Because the Lord loves you. And sometimes I think it brings fear to people because they don't want to surrender their lives to Jesus Christ. They don't want to answer to him. They want to live the way that they want to. But just keep in mind that maybe there's a little bit of fear that is there in their hearts and coming to the Lord. And we want to calm those fears and we want to bring then that comfort to them that the Lord desires to bring to them as well. So here is as the coastlands feared and everyone helped his neighbor as we read and said to his brother, be of good courage. And then the craftsman encouraged the goldsmith who smooths with the hammer, inspired him who strikes the anvil, saying it is ready for soldering. And then he fastened it with pegs as we read that it may not totter. What kind of God is that, that you got to fasten it with pegs so it doesn't fall over? You know, there isn't any example in the Old Testament of any of those idols that helped God's people. And the Lord is going to go through and talk about the foolishness of, you know, worshiping idols. They're no good. They're nothing. 
You got to prop them up. And here, you know, the, the reaction of the nations was you fasten it with pegs that it may not totter. You know, whether somebody is afraid or whether somebody's just hardened, I pray that you would tell them about our God that he had pegs that went through his hands that kept them up on that cross. And we can tell them that he loves you so much that he created you and he knows you and he loves you. <laughs> and our God, he had pegs that went through his hand to fasten him on that cross for you. And then he was taken down and he rose again. And he's alive and he's your hope and he's your comforter and he's your salvation. And he desires to bring reconciliation between you and the Father. And you see, that's what we're being told here that how as we give the gospel, we can bring that comfort to others, that Jesus Christ, you don't have to be afraid, went and died for you personally. But you, Israel, are my servant. I like it here in verse 8 that as he says, you, Israel, my servant. And that's good news because you and I, that we are his servant as well, aren't we? And I pray that we would say, Lord, I want to be your servant. I, I want to serve you. And however, you know, you gifted me opportunities that you've given to me, that a servant is one who humbles himself. And Jesus said, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you must be the servant of all. And so here they're called his servant, and we are his servants. And, and Jacob, whom I have chosen, and the descendants of Abraham, my friend, you whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest regions and said to you, you are my servant. And I have chosen you and have not cast you away. And in verse 10, fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I love verse 10 here. As the Lord says that you're my servant, I've chosen you. You know, you're different. That you're not like the other nations that, that worship these, these, these worthless idols. And then in verse 10, that you don't have to fear. Second of all, he's there to help us. And then thirdly, to uphold us. Now doesn't that bring you comfort? To know that he is the one that, that he helps us and he upholds us. And I know that verse 10 here, that there have been times where I really... We're going through a difficult time. Our ministry was very difficult that I read this verse and it brought great comfort to me. Because, Lord, I know that I belong to you. And I know that I don't have to be dismayed because you are with me and you promise you'll never leave me or forsake me. That you are my God. I belong to you. And the Lord says that I will strengthen you and help you and, and uphold you with my righteous right hand. And maybe that's a verse that's going to bring comfort to you here tonight. Maybe you're dismayed. Maybe you're going through it. And know that he is with you to strengthen you, to help you, to uphold you, 
with his righteous right hand and behold all those who are incensed against you shall be ashamed and disgraced they shall be as nothing and those who strive with you shall perish you shall seek them and not find them those who contended with you those who war against you shall be as nothing as a non-existent thing verse 13 for I the Lord your God will hold your right hand saying to you fear not I will help you Again, we're being told, don't be afraid. I am your help. I don't know about you, but there are times where I can become afraid. I remember once somebody told me, I'm never afraid of anything. I think, you know, I wanted to say to her, you're a whole lot tougher than I am. Because there's times where I do get gripped with fear. And it's amazing the things that will grip us with fear. You know, and, and to know that the Lord says that you don't have to be afraid because I am your help. And then he says in verse 13 that I will hold your right hand. Not that me as a servant holds his hand. He holds my hand. Parents, you know how that works. You take your child out in the parking lot from the store or even here in the church and the little ones, you take them. You hold their hand, right? Because if they're just holding your hand, they want to break away and they want to run off. And what can happen, as we have discussed, even as we saw that Shennacherib, remember he comes against you know, Jerusalem and he's hurling these threats and he's instilling fear into them. And he's saying, God's not going to help you. Your God can't help you. None of the other gods helped the other nations that we destroyed. And your God won't either. Well, he was wrong. Because God did help them. And God did destroy the Assyrian army. One angel was sent and destroyed 185,000 soldiers in one night. But it is fear that what can happen is that we can let go of the Lord's hand and we bolt and we try to find help somewhere else or in another place. Or we start going after our own understanding, our own plans. And the Lord says, listen, I got your hand because you're going to stay right close to me. And that's a good place to be. Listen, don't try to break away from the Lord. And if you have fear right now, the Lord says you don't have to be afraid. And what can happen is in circumstances or difficulties that we go through, when we become fearful, we start to make bad decisions. And we start to try to figure things out in our own strength our own plans, you know, if I can figure out how to solve this, if I can, you know, get through this, rather than waiting on the Lord who says, I got you by the hand, I'm your help, I'm going to strengthen you, right? Those who wait on the Lord, he'll strengthen. I'm going to be good to those who wait on you, Lord, and, and I'm going to bless those who wait on me. And you trust in him, and then you rest in him, that he's there with you, working on your behalf. And fear not again, you worm Jacob, you men of Israel. I will help you, says the Lord, and your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Behold, I will make you into a new threshing sledge with sharp teeth, and you shall thresh the mountains and beat them small and make the hills like chaff. I, I kind of like that, you know. He, he calls, you know, uh, his people, fear not, you worm Jacob. Sometimes I can say, yeah, I'm like a worm, you know. But he's going to be the one that's going to give us sharp teeth. I'm going to make you a super worm, whatever it might be, wonder worm. Because he's our help.
and shall winnow them, and wind shall carry them, verse 16, away, and the whirlwind shall scatter them, and you shall rejoice in the Lord and the glory in the Holy One of Israel. So the Lord wants to do that work in us. And of course, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, that Paul says that my strength is made perfect in weakness because of his grace for us. And in verse 17, the poor and the needy seek water, but there is none. Their tongues fail uh, for thirst, and I, the Lord, will hear them, and I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. That will open up rivers and desolate heights and fountains in the midst of the valleys. And I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. And I will plant in the wilderness the cedar and the acacia tree and the myrtle and the oil tree. And I will set in the desert the cypress tree and the pine and the box tree together that they may see and know and consider and understand together that the hand of the Lord has done this. The Holy One of Israel has created it. The, the land was a desert, a, a wasteland, but he is going to provide water and it's going to bloom. And the Lord will make you know, the barren place bloom with fruit. There's going to be trees that is going to be planted, acacia, myrtle, noel trees, and cypress tree and box trees together. It's going to be tremendous what the Lord is going to do with the land. And listen, it's going to be tremendous what he wants to do in your life if you're here and you're feeling dry and you feel like, you know what, my life is a waste. If you're here and you're saying, my life is a waste, it's not a waste. Because out of all of that, the wasteland and the dryness and the barrenness of our lives, he desires to refresh you, and to restore you, to forgive you, to pour out his Holy Spirit on you, the comforter, that you can live a life after him. And it was Jesus in John chapter 7 that he would say, that come to me all of you who thirst and drink of me and out of your innermost will flow torrents of living water. And you know that invitation is given to you tonight. So I want to ask you a question. Are you thirsty? Do you feel like your life has been a waste? Are you dry? It seems like everything in my life is barren. He says, come to me and drink of me. Believe in me. Have fellowship with me. Closeness with me. Trust in me. And out of your belly, as you drink of the living waters, shall flow torrents of living water, speaking of the Comforter, the Holy Spirit that desires to do an incredible work in you. Listen, he wants to do that work in you personally. He wants to do it in your family. And he wants to do it in this church. You know what's interesting? In Zechariah chapter 10, I was reading it today, and I think the Lord was really speaking to me. And, and Zechariah is prophesying a lot about the end times in the last days. And in chapter 10, I'll read it to you in verse 1. Ask the Lord for rain in the time of the latter rain. The Lord will make flashing clouds. He will give them showers of rain, grass in the field for everyone. Ask the Lord for rain in the time of the latter rain. 
I wonder, I do pray for it, been praying a lot for it, that in these last days, that God would pour out his spirit, that it would be a great awakening, there would be a true revival, not only in our community, in our state, but in our nation. I really believe that the hope for our nation, the only hope that there is, is that there is revival that takes place, that we as a nation will come to that place of humbling ourselves and asking God to forgive us and, and to turn back to him. I pray for a revival. And as I read Zechariah chapter 10, that pray for rain in the latter days, in the latter times, the latter rains that will come. You see, the latter rains speak of that rain that would come right before the harvest. I just wonder if Zechariah chapter 10, could it be perhaps given us indication that right before the harvest, when the Lord comes back, the return of the Lord, if there isn't going to be a revival, if the latter rains aren't going to come, I don't know, but I pray for it. But what is interesting is this, pray for rain at the time that the latter rains are being poured out. And I think, why would you pray for rains when it's the latter rains are pouring out, it says there. And I think that the Lord is saying pray for rain is because you know how it works in this part of the country, you know, this part of the state. We have a little joke. The rain goes all around my house. It can be raining to the west. It can be raining to the north. I'm praying, Lord, please rain. It hasn't rained on my lawn for a long time. It's raining to the east. It's raining to the south. But it's not raining on my house. And then when it does rain, it hails and destroys everything. So... <laughs> You know how that works around here. It may be raining over here, but it's not raining where you're at. Listen, we need to be praying, Lord, send the latter rains upon me, upon my family, upon this church. Because I don't want to miss out on what you want to do in these last days. I don't want to miss out. And if there's anything that the Lord has really ministered to me in reading that and just kind of praying through it this afternoon is this, that we really need to be in a place where we're praying as a church. You know, I met with the guys, I meet with the, the guys, the, the, the pastors here on Tuesday, and we're going, you know, through, you know, the Calvary distinctives and just, you know, again, the model of the church, Acts chapter 2, verse 42, they continued in the word of God in prayer and breaking of bread and in fellowship and, and those four things and uh, such were added to the church daily who were being saved. And that's the model that God gave to us. And as a church, going through the Word of God, but also prayer. I, I hope that we understand how prayer needs to be a priority here. You know, you always get these information on come to our conference, you know, and come to our seminar, and we're going to teach you how to grow your church. And a lot of it is about method and how to have your building and, you know, all these other things. And you know what? What we see in the scriptures is the early church got on their knees and they prayed. We need to be praying as a church, Lord, that we are in, in very unique times. How do you want to use us? And I'll tell you this, it brings me great comfort when I know that men are praying on Sundays, every Saturday morning. There's a group of men that are praying. 
It brings me great comfort when I walk in on Tuesday morning before I get here that the pastors are down here in this sanctuary and they are praying. It brings me great comfort and excitement when I see that the ladies are gathering and they are praying. That there are those who are praying and we need to continue to do that. Because I don't want to miss out that God is working over here, but we're not sensitive to what God wants to do here with us and pouring out His Spirit in these last days, the latter rains. Pray for rain, Lord. Use us. We want to be used. And families need to be praying. Listen, parents, be praying with your kids. Be praying for your kids. This is not a time to say, not important, not a priority, don't have time. Be praying for them and for you that God wants to use you as you pray. How do you want me to be your servant, Lord? I want to be your servant and refresh me. And I know that as I come and drink of you, that out of my belly will flow torrents of living water to be able to refresh others. Well, we read and in, in, um, as we... Um, here uh, continue um, in that he, he talks about the futility of idols uh, here uh, as he goes on he says in um, verse 21 present your case says the Lord bring forth your strong reason says the king of Jacob let them bring forth and show us what will happen let them show the former things uh, what they were that we may consider them and know the latter end of them or declare to us things to come. Show us the things that are to come hereafter that we may know that you are God's. Yes, do good and do evil, that we may be dismayed and see it together. Indeed, you are nothing and your work is nothing. He who chooses you is an abomination. So the futility of, of idol worship and here says the king of Jacob is the only time that that title is used concerning God. I'm the one that tells the future the things to come. The Bible, do you realize, is the only book that dares to predict the future. No other religious book does that. A third of this book is prophecy. And then God comes along and says that I am 100% accurate. Not 99% or 90%, but 100% accurate. Amazing the prophetic, you know, uh, word that is given to us, knowing that this book is inspired by God. And those idols, they can't do that. They're worthless. And I have raised up one from the north, and he shall come. And the rising, the sun, he shall call on my name. And he shall come against princesses through mortar, and the potter treads clay. And who has declared from the beginning that we may know the former times, that we may say that he is righteous. Surely there is no one who shows. Surely there is no one who declares. Surely there is no one who hears your words. The first time I said to Zion, look, there they are, and I will give to Jerusalem one who brings good tidings. For I looked, and there was no man, and I looked among them, but there was no counselor, who, when I asked of them, could answer a word. Indeed, they are all worthless. Their works are nothing. Their molded images are wind and confusion. Listen, don't turn to the idols of the world. Turn to the Lord. Because they're like, you know, a bunch of hot air. They're nothing. And all they do is, is the molded images are wind and confusion. And God is not a God of confusion. He wants to give you understanding. He wants to give you clarity, strength, uphold you. 
He wants to strengthen you. He wants to guide you. Our God is so good, and he wants to refresh you. So, Father, we thank you for this time in your word. We thank you for this chapter that's given to us that how we are told so many times not to be afraid. Not to be afraid because you are with us. We belong to you. We don't have to be dismayed. But, Lord, you hold us. You uphold us with your righteous right hand and arm. And, Lord, that you are the one that strengthens us. You're the one that comes to us to comfort us. We have so many reasons why tonight we can leave here rejoicing. And I pray that we would. And that we would be refreshed because we're here. So, Lord, I ask that you would just continue to just draw us to yourself and stay in that place of, Lord, I'm your servant. And I want to come to you in thirst because maybe you're here and you've gotten away from the Lord. Maybe just the cares of the world or caught up in the world somehow. Maybe carnality and sin. And the invitation is given, come to me, Jesus says, and drink. Come to me and drink. You who are thirsty, come drink of the living waters. Maybe you're here and you've never come to Jesus Christ to make him your Lord and Savior and ask him into your heart. I pray that you would understand that he went to the cross and died for your sins and was buried and rose again. And he is your Savior. He is the Savior of the world. There is none other. And he came and died for you that you might have forgiveness and hope of eternal life and reconciliation with the Father. And you can ask him into your heart right now as your personal Lord and Savior. He's saying, come and believe in me, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And you can pray, Jesus, I come. I come to you, the living waters. And I ask that you would forgive me of my sins. I believe you died for me. You rose again. You're alive. And I ask that you sit upon the throne of my life as my personal Lord and Savior. That I may know you and walk with you. I thank you for this new beginning, your love for me and for saving me. In Jesus' name. And listen, if anybody here, even if you're listening on live stream, you know, you made a decision for the Lord, tell us. You know, call us here at the church or tonight come up with the prayer team up front tell me the decision that you made but for all of us Lord because maybe there's some of us here maybe a lot of us that there's a dryness in your soul right now or a barrenness that we would come to you and continually drink of the living waters maybe you've been drinking of the world it's just going to cause you to be thirsty again Maybe drinking of whatever. But come to the living waters continually, constantly. Allow him to do that work in you. And I pray that, Lord, you would use us in these days. That you would use our families. That you would use our children. And that you would use this church for whatever you have for us. Father, as we come to you for comfort, that you would give that comfort to those who need it tonight. 
And Lord, that we would be able to then comfort others. So we thank you for tonight and your encouragement and you speaking to us through your word. Bless everyone here now as we go our way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you please stand?